Welcome to Mediation Station, and this is your host, Greg Fenton. We are here live in the studio in uh, Uptown Toronto, CHHA, 1610 AM. And tonight uh, we're going to do a show that's uh, somewhat uh, a little different. It's live, of course, in the sense that I'm here. So you can contact me at either greggf at primus.ca or 647-227-4734. So tonight we're going to have a presentation of what's called Mindful Mediator Moments 1. And the show is content from the Ontario Association for Family Mediation, the conference that took place on September 20th and 21st. So there's going to be a second show of uh, other content from that. And it's on December 23rd. Basically, I put together some questions for each of the two days, and I had some chats with family mediators with regard to practice and getting better insight with regard to that and go from there. I have another individual here who wants to contribute some pieces to the conversation today at the OAFM conference on uh, Friday, September 21st. Welcome. Hello, welcome all. So from your perspective, what would you like to see happen with the profession? Um, I would like to see there be more public awareness um, as to the benefit of mediation um, and I would like clients to be able to call accreditation organization or to contact accreditation organization regarding um, mediation, mediators or even issues around concerns or malpractice. How do you feel that having that kind of entity or some kind of template would contribute to the profession? I think there needs to be, um, there's not much public awareness with regards to family mediation unless parties end up in the court process and then they're told about mediation. We live in a very diverse society and um, many communities assume mediation is, the minute you mention mediation, it's more of a community model in terms of a relative or friend or um, elder or a religious person doing the process. I think there needs to be an education as to what the criteria of uh, accredited mediator is. And in terms of um, malpractice or complaints, it's kind of empowering the parties that they'd also have a say in the process. Okay. What are the most challenging situations that you feel clients experience? ignorance of the process of mediation um, in terms of not just processes but the mechanics of mediation. Also following through upon getting either a memorandum of understanding, mediation report or an agreement. What are the next steps? Um, that's where I think a lot of the challenges exist for many of our clients. So what do you do when these type of situations happen? walk them through the process and show that they have an understanding of the mediation prior to starting. And sometimes you need reminders, especially if parties are coming back, you know, um, a, week in a, a week later or a month later, um, that constant reminder that mediation agreements, memorandum of understanding or um, agreements, they're not legally binding agreements. And, you know, having parties check in as to how they're going to proceed once they have an agreement. So you, as a lot of us uh, support that it's self-determination and we can encourage and suggest individuals for one to get uh, independent legal advice and so individuals who may not avail themselves of that, what might happen in your perspective? Well, um, I've seen 
parties leave, agree, um, leave mediation in terms of they've gotten an agreement, they've moved on. Some parties can exist without an actual formalized legal agreement, but um, with children, especially if you start off with an agreement with young kids, they're going to need to be changes as they get older or re um, new relationships um, of the parties. There is a lot of opportunity for growth in terms of parties adapting agreements, but then there are also parties who ha are very highly conflictual and with time, not having it legalized become a hindrance to moving forward. In fact, it can even entrench parties in positions that are very difficult to shift because circumstances in life have taken place and there's no legality to what they're doing. So how do you uh, measure or identify how effective your mediation process is? Not all cases um, require a full agreement. I don't um, enter into mediation wanting a full settlement of all the issues. My measure of success is the party's ability to um, understand each other and understand each other's position. I come from that perspective less so than the outcome perspective of um, the mediation. I do believe that if parties have a good experience of the process, they may not necessarily have an agreement on issues, but it gives them an opportunity to come back later and maybe clarify issues. And I do recall one case that I had where um, the parties came in and we had a discussion about a child's mental health issues. And the parties did, chose not to actually mediate, but I found out years later that it actually helped them to communicate in mediation and it had helped them to start looking at each other's um, positions and understanding the needs that the child had. And they, they used that mediation process to focus on their child, not on themselves. They never ended up with an agreement, but um, through another um, professional, they had mentioned I had worked with them and what um, they were able to achieve in terms of their relationship growth and being able to focus on their child's needs. I mean, people measure or identify uh, things that happen in their lives in different ways. And so, as you mentioned, getting a full settlement or getting an agreement or dealing with all the issues and getting resolution or clarity on those may not necessarily always be needed. They just even may need an opportunity just to come together to speak yes. of, of their concerns with regard to an issue. That's right. Um, communication is um, paramount and usually in relationships where parties have moved on, communication starts breaking down. And um, I see myself as a mediator, as a conduit for communication between the parties. Okay. What would you like to be able to do as a mediator that you currently do not do? I think um, as a mediator, um, I'm very mindful of the Jacob Ladders process. So, But one area that I see as practicing family mediation that I think there needs to be room for improvement other than safe termination where parties can always come back to mediation, I think we need to have special programs for co-parenting. And communication and co-parenting is very critical, especially um, with younger families. Um, as we see in this process, um, families' communication breakdown, 
and they become very rights-based and their ability to communicate and co-parent um, become very um, hazardous for raising children. The level of conflict just keeps escalating. I think parties do need to learn how to co-parent after separation. And to navigate, I believe, through their changes of life. As you mentioned earlier, you know, things happen, flexibility, and so we need to be able to connect with those moments and then find a way to best deal with those moments to then keep moving along. Nicely well put. Thank you. It's a conversation. Thanks very much for uh, sharing today. So I'm Cam Lovell. I'm a family mediator. Okay, and today we're at the uh, OAFM uh, conference. And today is Thursday, September 20th, 2018. And uh, some questions for our conversation together. Sure. So what, is, what does it mean to you to be a mediator? Uh, for me, it's a way of life. I've been doing it for about 13 years, and I find that... All and all, all way of life, I'm using my skills that I learned as a mediator to continue. Yeah. So what first brought you into the mediation practice? Yeah, I used to do uh, non-profit non, non, non mediation uh, for victim offenders. Oh, restorative justice? Restorative justice and victim offender mediation, as well as community mediation, neighbors. And then somebody said to me, Cam, you have a gift for this. You should become professional. And they directed me to the York University mediation program. And that's how I got into When did you take that program? Uh, about 12 years ago. Much different than now. Yes. So what do, you, what do you see your purpose being as a mediator who focuses on family matters? Yeah, uh, very important to me because I myself went through separation many years ago and nobody told me there's something called family mediation. And these days I help families go through a much more kinder and uh, much more pro-family process which helps them resolve separation issues in a way that they both can live with instead of being left with animosity and anger of feeling of anger. Do you, do you find a connection between the nature of who you are and the manner in which you practice? Uh, I think the training changes you. Well, you know, if you take proper courses and proper training uh, in mediation, you actually, I have actually physically seen, seen changes inside me and how I am and how I interact with people. So how does your work as a mediator affect or impact you? It impacts me in the sense that I am the person that I, I, I have become, which is much more understanding and much more able to communicate uh, to the people around me. And what do you feel you contribute to that process, though, as, a, as an individual? What kinds of characteristics or skills? What skills you know, that you have that impacts the process that you provide? Right. I think a main skill you, you learn over time is l listening. And you have tools. Uh, typically, mediation means two parties at impasse. If they're not at impasse, they don't need a mediator. They can help, help solve things themselves. And you learn these skills over time. And uh, as you learn it, you apply that in, in your own life as well. Okay, so you're basically who you are, what you do, is what you practice is one and the same when you're a professional or whether you're a non-mediator per se. Absolutely. You know, I teach at York University, and this is what I say to students as well, is that by the time you finish, you will become a different person in the sense that you will start to apply what you're learning into your normal life as well. So as they say, you walk the talk. Uh, yeah, you're right. So what would you want to see change about your own practice? Is there, is there something particular?
particular, though, about the way you do things currently that you would like to see done differently, even by yourself? So my practice right now is between 5 p.m. to 11 p.m. Most of my 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 uh, an, an evening type of yeah, exactly. A long time ago, I established to be holding meetings in the evening. That helps my clients. Increasingly, I'm finding sometimes clients are asking me to do meetings in the daytime as well and the, and the weekends. So most of I want to expand that to that. Expand my timing to include daytime meetings as well. Okay. Anything you want to add at this moment? Uh, fantastic program. You know, I, I hope I hope you wish you lots of success. Okay. Thanks very much. And who are you, please? I'm Christine Kim. Christine Kim, I remember you. I remember you too. So it's good to see you, actually. Nice to see you too, Greg. What does it mean to you to be a mediator? What does it mean to me to be a mediator? Uh, well, I feel quite privileged to be a mediator. I think um, when you historically take a look at the role of a mediator, I know it's become quite professionalized now, but um, it was a position where the community members... Uh, went to when they had problems and obviously that requires a lot of trust right and that individual is credible so there's some leadership qualities and I think uh, that I take that quite seriously right so even though there's a whole accreditation process your reputation in the community is is really what makes you um, successful or not um, so what it means to me is really being able to have access to families um, and to be able to help them have difficult conversations and hopefully be able to them uh, to get them to resolve um, their issues uh, and not just their substantial issues but as well as to shift them into a better path in terms of how they relate to each other um, uh, under the circumstance of separation. In addition to dealing with the fundamental substantive issues, mm-hmm. you're also looking to somewhat assist them with the relational matters. Yeah, and I think part of that, and yes, absolutely, in that relational matters. Um, in addition, just one other thing is sometimes um, people have quite challenging communication problems, and mediation can really provide a platform where they can have a conversation, right? and it could be years, right, and, and, and there can be a lot of interpretations and misunderstandings, so it can offer them some clarity about each other, as well as provide opportunities for healing. To address some of the perceived or lived uh, misunderstandings? Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I think in some respects, like if everyone had an opportunity to just sort of, you know, have a say, right, mm-hmm. or even even if they disagree, to have a say is quite powerful in terms of how to move on, in terms of moving forward. Right, and I mean, for me, that's one of the fundamental strengths of the mediation relative to the court process, because the individual has the ownership of creating, contributing to their outcomes. Absolutely, and this idea of justice, too. I mean, everyone, not everyone, but most people coming in after going through a family crisis is looking for some sort of justice. And oftentimes, justice is not offered um, by the courts. And justice is defined differently for, for each individual. So being able to at least have your say can provide, I don't know if justice is the right word, but definitely can provide some closure or 
clarity. Clarity. And even if it's the mediator who is the one that can really hear that individual, that can make a big difference. So it's not only both procedural issues and there's so unresolved emotional issues, but the pro- how we actually create that space in terms of process can have a profound effect. Yeah, and redefine the pathway for them moving forward. Absolutely. What do you see your purpose being as a mediator who focuses on family matters? Family matters, I would say, is one of the most personal, difficult struggles, especially in times of separation. And it defines who you are, how you exist in this world. And being able to participate in resolving family matters, I think my purpose is, again, like to provide an opportunity for people to have a voice, as well as to talk about what the separation not only means to them, but for their children, right? So I really make an effort to bring in the children's perspective, not necessarily literally, okay? But rather, you know, if I could just sort of give images, like as the children are looking up, so there's, you know, I call it the parenting team, how are they experiencing this, right? And if the parenting team starts to become quite tense and conflictual, it no longer becomes sort of an upstairs team. It, 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 the parent's dilemma starts to hit the ground, which is closer to the child, and it creates, it, uh, you know, the, the kids would obviously be caught in the middle of this. So in, in, in times of separation, I really try to bring this uh, child's perspective so we can ensure that their well-being is not, well, that is not impacted. Well, it's it's a basis or foundation for a yeah. lot of decisions that need to be made. Absolutely. And this other analogy I use is, you know, separation, I, I say, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a new chapter in one's life for the adults, for the parents. But it's also a beginning chapter of a child's life, right? And so even though we may be, like, looking at, okay, this is a new chapter, I have to get my life organized, how we conduct ourselves in this separation chapter, we are also the authors of our children's early chapters and this has profound impact in later on yeah, in their lives. A yeah. Impression. Absolutely. So how, how does your work as a mediator affect or impact you? You know, it's interesting to hear people's reactions. I, mean, I actually find it at times inspirational. Okay? I mean, it, it's definitely, you know, it can be hard to witness this kind of when, conflict. When you say inspirational, from what point of yeah, view? From be, because people are in... You know, they're in crisis, right? Their life is falling apart. But as a mediator, what you do witness is, as well as them picking their lives, um, pieces, pieces up and redefining themselves. So it's being able to witness and not just witness, I guess, participate in people trying to find new ways of existing. And that requires actually a lot of strength and courage. Now, don't get me wrong, not all the clients are like this, right? But to be able to see people struggle and somehow figure out ways to move forward. And, you know, mediation can happen sort of, uh, you know, in, in a few sessions early on. But it also can happen, especially because I deal with kids over long stages. So you see parents evolve or develop or whatever you want to call it. And it's really nice to see over the course of time how they've taken a crisis situation and they really have developed into sometimes uh, into a better place. Okay. So what do you want to see change about your own practice? I think, well, my practice and I think in mediation practice in general, we work oftentimes in silos, right? And so I've been both, you know, I think I've been quite privileged to work with other professionals, in particular lawyers who attend my mediation. So there is a level of sort of professional collaboration at that level. You're still on your own as a mediator. Right? And so what I think I'd like change is to have more consultation, or more amongst support you. amongst other mediators. 
And so part of being, the significance of being part of OAFM is that it's an opportunity not just to network, but to feel some sense of, like, you know, um, consultation, solidarity, debriefing. More supportive. More support to know that we're not, yeah. Less competitive. Less competitive. And I actually, oddly, I don't find it that competitive. I'm not sure. And, uh, you know, I know that there's a lot more mediators and training, but I also think that is, there's such a demand in the community from families. Right, as long as, quote, the education and information that's provided for people to know that this is a viable option rather than using the courts as a default. Uh, yes, yes. And, and I think although sometimes a court is, is, is useful, I am going to say that, you know, there's a tremendous responsibility as mediators, right? Like and well, when I alluded earlier, like when I talked about early on, like we are in a privileged position to be able to provide families a different way of defining themselves as families. And I think separation in particular, like with litigation, like where does that leave people at the end of the day? Not in a particularly good place, right? And there's not a bridges being built, if anything, it, they're being burnt down. And there's so much damage done in that process, it's difficult to reestablish different connections. And so the responsibility as mediators is to see if there's opportunity for families to actually create new ways of being with each other, you know, especially around children. So I think we owe that to the next generation. Yeah, to reconfigure the the formation of that family unit absolutely, in a, in a more positive and stronger way. Well said. Well, you know, I should talk to myself more often. <laughs> I thought you did already, I, right? I do. Yeah, that, that is a tendency of mine. And I it's appreciate okay. It. I appreciate our co- our conversation today. I always do, Greg. Thank you for having me. All right, thank you very much. Thank you. You are? My name is Bev Lewis. And we're here today on uh, Thursday, September 20th at the uh, OAFM conference. Yes. Nice to see you. Nice to see you as well. So what does it mean to you to be a mediator? It is a great privilege for me to be a mediator, to help people through one of the most difficult times that they will ever have to experience in their in their life um, to help them to separate with dignity to help them maintain relationships uh, between themselves and their families and their children it is it is a wonderful it is a wonderful wonderful journey to be on with with these couples that are going through separation and divorce so what do you see your purpose being as a mediator who focuses on family matters? So my number one goal is keeping families out of court. I have been down that road myself on a personal personal level, and I know what it's like to go through that, that adversarial process. I've seen um, firsthand what it has done to my own family, how it has devastated my family. Um, the expense, the time that that went into it, and then ultimately the the destruction in so many different relationships, and not just myself and my ex-husband, but also grandparents and aunts and uncles who also got involved. So, number one, keeping families amicable so that they can co-parent their children and so that they can save the money and and put that money that they would be spending in legal fees towards their children's education. Um, being able to ultimately one day um, dance at their kids' weddings, helping just helping them see that there's an alternative to the very, very adversarial process that's out there right now. So 
sounds to me from what I'm hearing from you is that you see what this practice is is more relational rather than legalistic as issues. Yes, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna blanket everybody with the same cloth. Um, no, from your own perspective about your yes. own intention and your mindset with regard to the process and the practice. Yes, um, because it can become very legalistic. And as I was saying, I'm not going to blanket everybody with the same cloth. There are some very good lawyers out there, but you have to find them because the ones that are adversarial will take you down a very destructive path. And the legalistic part of of things will will destroy family relationships. They once you once you go down that path, it's very very difficult, if not impossible, to come back to having a good amicable relationship, and ultimately being able to co-parent your kids or being able to you know have some kind of um, uh, relationship post separation. Right, because I you know there's two dimensions to relationships and family that I understand. One is where the intimate one starts and then it provides for uh, a child and then when the intimate one ends, it still remains where the parents are still going to have a connection lifelong with regard to the children or child. Yes, absolutely. And I'm actually experiencing that right now with my own daughter her and her husband have been together for a number of years and they have a two-year-old and they are in the process of separating. Actually, she's not quite two yet. And seeing the emotional roller coaster that they're on right now and knowing that for the next 16 years minimum, they have to co-parent that little girl and they have to do it so so that it's not going to affect her as she goes through her development stages. So yes, it's... Um, it's it's going to be difficult, and it is difficult for for most couples, but it can be done. And the way to to do it is to not get involved with the legal nasty battle. Um, you know, go through mediation, find an alternative to that adversarial process because it will not help you or any of your family or children in the long run. How do you uh, educate or inform people though that the more productive process, more efficient one, would be to remain out of court rather than going through court. Well, exactly what I'm doing with you right now. Radio shows, TV shows, uh, we have uh, educational video series on our website, um, through YouTube, uh, through social media. We are We are inundating the public with information about what mediation is and how mediators can help to um, to get through that that process of your separation and just letting people know that there's a different way there's a new way out there that well it's not even so new but there is a different way and just a, a personal kind of funny story my my one my other daughter a while ago um, had a had a disagreement with her husband and they're still happily married but she had a disagreement with her husband and the first thing that came out of her mouth was that's it I'm going to find my divorce I'm going to talk to my divorce lawyer and when she told me the story, I said, you know what I do, right? <laughs> yeah, which is sort of a contradiction with what she's saying. That's exactly right. But it's programmed in people's minds that when they're going through a separation, they have to call a lawyer. They don't have to call a lawyer. Of course, there are certain exceptions yes. that that could be 
the most productive pathway, though in, in general it would be best to have a default of remaining outside of court and being in the community and looking at things from a relational perspective rather than a legalistic perspective. How are you been affected by the work you're doing? Well, I came from another job. I was a paramedic for 28 years. And when I went through my own experiences with uh, divorce and being in and out of court for 10 years, I realized that there had to be a better way for families to get through this. And so my whole my whole focus changed from the career I had had for so long into saying, I need to now shift from that career helping people to a different career that's helping people. And this was the step that I took, and it has been an amazing journey. It really has. We have grown our business with the intention of keeping families out of court. Since I've been immersed in, in this journey of mediation, it has really changed my life. My my husband has quit. My new husband has quit his job. Um, he's working for, for me full-time. It is, it is my whole life. It really is. In terms of, you know, what you do, your practice, what would you like to see change? Number one, I think the information about mediation and what mediation is needs to be spread. People need to know what mediation is. They need to know how mediators can help them through their situation instead of just the one option that everybody kind of has in the back of their mind, lawyers, which becomes adversarial. It becomes very time-consuming. It becomes very expensive. And ultimately, it's not the lawyer that's making the decision in your in your case. They may be promising or saying all these wonderful things about, oh, you could get more than that, or you could get way better. We can we can win this case. But ultimately, it's not the lawyer that's making that decision. It's a judge that's making decisions, the decision. And there's going to be somebody that loses in, in those situations. In mediation, we try to, to make sure that there's not that win-lose attitude. It's about working together in the same room for what's in the best interest of you and your family. So it's, you know, working collaboratively, trying to cooperate about the decisions that need to be made many times for a lifelong as part of raising a child or children. Trying to get that mindset into getting people to shift from the, I'm going to fight you and the, I'm going to win, you're going to lose is, you know, been a challenge that I think many of us face. Yes, and I think times are changing. It's becoming more acceptable for for people to separate. When I was uh, when I was 12, my parents separated, and I was the only one, I lived in a small town, I was the only one in my whole public school whose parents were going through a divorce. So I couldn't relate to anybody. They couldn't relate to me. It was a, a big, you know, taboo subject to, to talk about. Um, it was very embarrassing for a lot of people. My family members, my my um, extended family members, my sisters. Things have changed. So now you go into a public school, and half of the population have separated parents. It's a flip side now. It's absolutely a flip side. So it's becoming more acceptable. It's becoming more of a of a conversation that people can have. It's no longer the taboo subject of oh, don't talk about that because you know somebody's going to hear and I'm going to be embarrassed. No, we're in the next generation now. We're where our parents separated, um, so it's given us the door to also separate with dignity. Right, and it's not just that we're looking to say hey. It's normal and okay to separate, per se, though 
if it's going to happen, less of a stigma that's attached to it, as you mentioned, that was previously placed on people in their relationships. Yes, and the, the point that I was that I was trying to make is that because it's more acceptable now, people are wanting to do something different than what their parents did. So they want to maintain amicable relationships. When my parents separated, my mother moved away, and I basically have not seen her since I was 12 years old. It was it was a taboo subject. We don't want to talk about this. I'm moving away. Nobody's going to talk to me. Nobody's going to see me. I want to do something different for my children. I want to have a relationship with my ex-husband so my kids can... So, so they can have that relationship. I want them to maintain relationships with our extended friends and family. So now it's not such a taboo subject. People are talking about it. So if we're talking about it, let's start talking about the alternatives to separation. Or the options. The options. Ab- absolutely. Absolutely. And like you said earlier, not everybody can come through mediation. We actually, there's a number of times that we have had to stop the mediation process because there's either a power imbalance or there's um, fear of domestic violence or clients are not wanting to provide full financial disclosure and they're hiding things, then we need to send them out. They need to be looked after by by lawyers who are who are going to be able to dig a little bit deeper. Where where we want clients that are wanting to come to to mediation because they don't want to go through that adversarial process. Yeah, and that's why, you know, fundamentally that the process is a voluntary process because we believe that uh, when people want to do something, there's there's more commitment, especially to doing it, and then especially afterwards to following through with the decisions that you make at the, quote, the table. Yes, and because we are not associated with the courts, people are seeking us out because they don't want to go through that court process where the people, for the most part, that are in the court process, they've already started building very adversarial relationships because they're in court now. Now they've had to start start the battle. They've had to dig up stuff that is against the other person to make sure that they're, they're going to win in court. So our clients are much more amicable. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Okay, we're here today with Niraj, and we're going to have a little conversation. We're at the OAFM uh, conference on uh, September 20th, 2018. How you doing, Niraj? I'm good, Greg. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for dropping by the table here. And I've got some questions. I want to learn a little bit more about you for the benefit of helping everybody else. So what does it mean to you to be a mediator? Hmm. I think it, uh, it means uh, being... Uh, uh, somebody who helps people to resolve their conflict. I think that's pretty much it. Yeah, somebody who helps who helps in that regard. So, what do you see your purpose being as a mediator who focuses on family matters? Well, I practice uh, mediation in a very focused way, and that is to get people to uh, uh, commit to separation agreements. In other words, I help them to facilitate. I facilitate discussion to help them to settle all terms in a separation agreement. So it's very it's very specific. I don't necessarily do a transformative style of mediation. It's really around a it's a legal mediation process and so uh, and so I get them to that finish line and then they go and get independent legal advice and they sign the, the agreement with their lawyers. 
So just to take on what you've said, mm -hmm. when you say transformative, yeah. relative to legalistic, yeah. Legal, yeah. what would be the distinction for you about those? Well, it's um, I'm I'm practicing mediation in a very rights-based kind of way. You know, talking to people about what their property rights are. Uh, I don't give legal advice, of course, but. I'm facilitating discussion around that. I'm facilitating discussion around child support and spousal support and uh, parenting. Now, in a more transformative style, you are helping people to change their point of view. Um, it's it is a much deeper process than what I'm doing, where people where people do sort of change their perspective while they're in mediation with me as well. But that's not really what my focus is. So the intention is there's there's specific issues yes. and you want them to make specific decisions on those and that's where you engage and they move on and you move on yes and 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 they are legal issues right they're not non-legal issues and they're and they're 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 family law legal issues which is why so, so what are those comprised of yeah there are four main components and they are child support spousal support parenting and property division those are the issues that people deal with when they're separating so when people make those kinds of decisions on specifics, how do you know if or whether they're going to follow through with uh, from the decisions they made at the table? Well, it's not really my job to make sure that they follow through. I mean, they if they're committing to those, uh, to those terms, I will draft an agreement and uh, then I'll give it to them and then they will... Um, uh, they'll take it to their lawyers and you know whether and it becomes a legally binding agreement right so if people don't uh, follow through with what they have signed in a legally binding document well then there's real consequences right okay so how do you see you know your work affecting you how how are you impacted by the work you do how am i impacted well um, I, I really do get a, a, a sense of satisfaction by doing this small piece in people's lives. It's um, I know that I'm you know I'm not making fundamental change in people's lives, but I am doing a what I feel is a necessary service, and there is pleasure in that. Uh, so the impact is is that I feel you know I feel like I've, I'm doing a good job. You know I'm I'm not necessarily um, I, and I know that I'm not somebody who helps people break up, but <laughs> when they have broken up, then I'm there to um, make the process as you know painless and as expeditious as possible. Uh, what would you want to see change about your own practice? Hmm. Well, I think I'd probably like to do even more mediation. I mean, I, I have, you know, I, I run a full mediation practice, but um, it would be you know, great to be, you know, get even more clients than I already have. Um, and perhaps it would be a good idea for me to, uh, I would be interested in teaching. That would be, you know, that would be important to me. And I think also trying trying more sort of techniques in my own uh, mediation toolbox, uh, you know, and, and that is one of the reasons why I'm here at this conference to sort of, uh, stretch myself in terms of the techniques, toolbox, in, in tools that I have in terms of asking questions and, uh, you know, maybe even getting to a more transformative model. Right? I would put it to you transformational. Yeah. And so, what does that mean? 
So that's that's a, a word that I use rather mm-hmm. than transformative. Per se. Okay, okay. Transformative is connected to Bush and Folger, the promise of mediation. Okay. So for me, transformational is a more active, fluid process of change. It's an ongoing thing. Well, thank you for saying that. Uh, th- thank you for pointing Clarif- that out, yeah. clarifying clarifying that because yeah, sorry that that is what I mean, transformational, a, a more transformational process. Because yeah, as I said, I don't I don't offer that at this time. Thanks very much, Nirash. Thank you. Hi, I'm here with Marion, and uh, I'm going to ask some questions of Marion. So, Marion, what does it mean to you to be a mediator? Um, it uh, means a lot to me. It's I look at it as kind of um, through my career, it's led me here um, with all the things that I've done, and I feel like I'm in a place now that I can support people to be successful when they're trying to resolve their conflicts. So what do you see your purpose being as a mediator who focuses on family mediation? Um, I matters. matters. I do a lot of family mediation, but I also do child protection, and... Um, I uh, I like to I, like I said my focus is always helping people to have the aha moment and have success when they move because my focus has always been children and the impact that conflict in families has on them. Well, you mentioned about aha moments. Whose aha moments are they? Yours or theirs? They're not mine. They're theirs. Right. A different perspective on looking at how they communicate and understanding that what they believe their belief system about the other partner might be wrong and trying to come to a better understanding of one another and their fears and why there's barriers to why they can't communicate or work together as co-parents. Okay. How does your work as a mediator affect or impact you? Uh, Yeah, I... Sometimes it affects me, but I try to keep my work as my work and my home... My private time as my private time. Um, It affects me when people have success. It's it's rewarding. Um, When they don't, it's frustrating. (laughs) What did I, could I do? What could I do, done different maybe to help them on a path? But I understand that sometimes people are not ready. And maybe it might be the time for them to be successful and to coming to a place where they can co-parent together appropriately. Are are you able to feel that you can uh, be connected with them so that you're maybe empathic at the same time? You're somewhat separated or detached where you're not taking ownership of their situation? I don't think I ever take ownership. It's it's their path. I try to help them get there, right? So that's our role as a mediator. You're supposed to be in the middle and you're supposed to help both. And you're, my, like I said, if I focus on how it impacts children that I don't care about, like I don't have that same concept or feeling about the adults in the room, I'm always looking at how can I help them to be better parents. And what for you would be the distinction, if any, of what you call family mediation relative to child protection. What are you looking to focus on differently? Well, family mediation and child protection, the, the, the scary thing is they usually come to me for the same kind of stuff. It's always about conflict about their parenting or, um, or not having a role in parenting or fighting about something about their parenting, right? So even though it's child protection, once you get through the child protection issues, we're still at the same concept, the same idea that they're not feeling valued as parents or they're not working together as parents. So it's the same, but in a different con- concept, right? Because like I said, when I get to the child protection media, once I started it, I felt like a fish out of water. Because in some respects, it's a little different. Uh, it's a lot in different. In what way? What, clarify um, that. It, I guess it's that um, in, on top, you have to address the, the child protection stuff first. And that's and, and, and when you're doing the family, you're not, you don't have to do that first, right? 
So, so with the child protection, there's a there's child protection agency that's addiction. become engaged with yeah. this process. Yeah, but there's also strong addiction. There's addictions, mental health. It's more prevalent than would be in family mediation most of the time, right? So what, you're, what, what part of the province do you practice in? I practice in the north. So I practice in Sault Ste. Marie and Algoma, and I also do a little bit of work in Sudbury, and then I also do a little work in North Bay and uh, Nipissing. Okay. And what do you want to see change about your own practice, if anything? Um, I just think the only thing I can do about my own practice is come to things, um, training, and become a better mediator, right? To help people get to the aha moments um, or more aha moments so that they can start working together. It's a continuum. Yes, it is. Yeah. I mean, that's why you're here today, I, I would believe, to get some, quote, insight. Yes. On the... Particularly inside mediation. And, and how to get people to move out of their position and, and, and understand better. Because I really truly believe that a lot of the issues with people in mediation is they don't communicate well together and their communication styles or their ways they, they go about their business are toxic at that point. And so they have to learn how to support and understand the communication rather than work against it. Right? So if you can identify why you do certain things and why, like I'll give you an example. So, um, one parent needs answers. That's their, their personality. They want an answer. They want it in time. The other person doesn't want to give it. So they spin and they get anxiety and then it causes more problems in their communication and their conflict, right? Where the other person has to identify, well, if you gave them the answer, then you wouldn't have to withdraw and hide because there wouldn't be conflict. So this person's avoiding conflict. This person is trying to get answers and it causes more conflict. So to know one person to say, oh, it's about the anxiety, and if I just help her alleviate the anxiety, then we'll have a better relationship instead of me not answering her and avoiding her because she is having anxiety and becoming aggressive, right? You feel part of that need to try to connect people, i.e. through the communication, because they have separate styles of communicating. Yes. And that sometimes comes into conflict with each other. Well, it makes it worse, right? So their conflicts are toxic. Right. I mean, the way the other styles of communicating are toxic. Right. It's not necessarily the person. It may be the manner in which the communication is and the expectations yeah. about that. And people always, when when you're together and you're in love and everything's really great, it's great. But then when you're in that position of conflict and you're separating, then they people always think the worst of one another rather than thinking maybe it's better than the worst. <laughs> so they always jump automatically to you're doing it for this reason, right? Right. So yeah. there's uh, seen as a threat when they transition from one form of relationship to another. So they've been intimates, they have a child together, and then they're going to transition away from the intimate, though they're going to continue together as co-parents in some yeah. form. So how can they be effective? And my lines always to them is, your role is to make sure the other person is the best parent they can be, because if they're the best parent they can be, or person they can be, they, they'll be the best parent they can be. And at the end of the day, it's your, it, you own a child, you made a child together, right? So they, their goal is ultimately the same. They want a healthy, ha- happy, healthy child, adult who's going to make good choices when they, when they grow up, right? So that should be the goal. And so if you want that goal, then you have to help the other person be the best parent they can be. So a lot of times what happens with that, from my experience, is that each person has a different definition of what that goal would and what that pathway looks like. Yeah. And that's okay, right? That's okay, but they yeah. have to learn how to deal with that, right? With their differences. Yes. To see as an opportunity rather than as a barrier. Right. And that it, it, it broadens that child's understanding of wor- the world from different perspectives, and that's a positive thing, not a negative thing. Absolutely. Yeah. It enriches it. Yes. 
Thanks very much for our uh, conversation today. Thank you very much. All right. <laughs>